You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Scripture reading from Romans chapter 12, 1 to 16 verses. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. For by the grace given to me, I'll tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the portion of the one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Amen. Thanks. You can have a seat. I love hearing the scriptures read aloud. That's one of my favorite parts of our worship gatherings. Um, If you are new to the village, really glad you could be here. We're walking through this series through this uh, letter called Romans written by this man, Paul. Really dense. Some of you uh, who are like fashion yourself as theology nerds, you are geeking out. It's like a spiritual buffet as we get to dig into this really dense book. Um, and, and it's known, Romans, maybe more than any other book in Scripture, as a one heavy with theology, with doctrine. You learn a lot about God, and it's really good. And it reminds me, even, um, it's been a while now, but when you're in school for like seminary, studying ministry or theology, um, theology is often broken down into different categories. Like you have... Um, systematic theology, which is kind of more learning categories of God. You have biblical theology where you walk through learning themes found in different portions of scripture that teaches about God. And you even have something called practical theology, which was the stuff I really like because I like practical stuff. But practical theology is like counseling, preach, like it's meant to be like, how do you live it out? The thing is, 
Um, I, I kind of don't like, I, I get the purpose of having the categories, but I kind of don't like it, especially when we talk about practical theology, for instance. Because, and if you really geek out in theology, it's like the systematic stuff is the real, like, meat. But practical theology, that's like sugar that you just kind of pour on stuff and just so that people won't get bored and it's not the real dense, heavy things. And, and I get that. But, but I think it also loses this sense. And as we've been walking through Romans, what we've been trying to do is really show how it's all practical. It, it's not just meant to be kept in an ivory tower and learn a whole lot. And, and, you know, that's good. Learning is really good. But theology should always be practical. Theology should always help us to do relationships better. That's one of my personal goals is I learn more about God. How does this help me? How does this help us? to learn how to do relationships better. And today then, we're, we're going to really pump that forward. We're going to look at how grasping mercy, in a sense, all that we've looked at throughout Romans already, how does that mercy help us to do relationship with the Lord and with one another? So I'm excited. I don't know if you're excited, but I'm excited. Let's pray as we seek the Lord's leading. Lord, um, thank you for this day. Lord, I'm reminded that you are growing um, your people as we see new people walking with the village. We see little ones, Lord, learning first steps. Some of us, Lord, we've lived a lot of life, but we're just starting this journey. Wherever we're at, thank you for your scriptures that you don't just tell us to try to be better people, but Lord, you give us means to know you. And I pray that we would, today we'd be able to see how these deep truths about you, they help us to know you better but they also help us to walk with one another better. So Holy Spirit, guide us in this time, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we, I want to look at this idea of mercy and how it affects our relationships. And first, looking at how mercy uh, impacts our relationship with God. And as Sheba read for us, we had those first two verses. I want to reread those uh, in verses 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So we start right from here where therefore, and some of you, you, if you've been to church and if you've heard a little clever little things like this, therefore is therefore a reason. Like it's this idea that it's, it's covering all of the letter up to this point. And now starting in chapter 12, you, you want to pull all of that to see what the application is now. And, and when we think of all we've seen up to chapter 12, it's talking about good news and a lot of different aspects of good news. But maybe one way we could boil it down is this idea of mercy. That when Jesus came and did his work and he lived the life we should have lived and he died to death that we, we deserved in judgment and he's freed us, we can, we can uh, think of that as mercy. In a sense, if you really want to boil it down, that we're not getting what we deserve, but we're also given what we didn't earn. This idea of mercy that God is just pouring upon us. He's not giving us what we do deserve, and he's giving us what we haven't earned. It's all mercy. It's all a gift. It's all favor from God. So therefore then, it's there for this reason. Because of all that, now this. So because of the mercy of God, now what should we do? Because, this, because of this understanding of the mercy of God, it's saying now give your lives to him in relationship. Offer yourself to God in relationship. 
And guys, this is huge because the order is so important. The order. Therefore, because of this, now this. Um, Because if we usually think about change in the world, and we just had New Year's, so resolution, I mean, it's all in the rearview mirror now, right? But we all, for like two days, think about resolutions and change. In our world, if you want to change something, you got to do something, right? I mean, that's just normal. That's just math. If you want to get healthier, you go hit the gym. Um, If you want to do better in your work, you got to change your work habits, or you got to brush up your resume. Um, and, and often we think of religion in the same ways, especially if we're coming in that we want change in our life. If you're here, I mean, if you're here just because you're bored, bless your heart. I, I think most of us were here because we want something more, right? We, we want something different in our life. And, and often when we come and think about religion, we think about what do we need to do so we can be better people? If we believe in God, what do we need to do so God will somehow receive us, accept us? And so much religion then is uh, to be holy and acceptable to God. We go do this. We go to this place. We look like this. We talk like this. But why I love the gospel so much, why I love the good news so much, why it is good news, it just flipped that whole script. It just changes it all up. Rather than what do we need to do so that we can come to God, it's understanding what does God done so that he receives us in and welcomes us to himself. And guys, it's so critical we keep that order right because if we don't have that order right, it will crush us. It will crush you. You'll, You'll either live in pride. You'll look at yourself yeah, I mean, like, and, and, you know, in some ways you say you sniff yourself, right? You're like, and, and you sniff everyone else. You're like, everyone else stank compared to me. And you'll live in pride or you'll live in guilt and despair. You'll look at what you're doing and it's not measuring up. So either pride or guilt. But what we're hoping for in our church is genuine freedom, joy, that when we come together, we actually like it. How many of us grew up, grew up in places where church was just misery? Like you had to do it because you didn't want to get whooped, right? But like you're not looking forward to it. What would it look like to live a life where you're actually seeking God and there's joy and there's hope and there's passion and you feel good about it? You're not just thinking about lunch, but you're even feeding on God through being with one another here. Like that's joy. That's freedom. It's this idea, not sacrificially obey, do all the good stuff so that God will see it and he'll accept you and love you. Rather, the gospel is that because God fully accepts and loves you, now you can offer your life to him. It's a different order of things. And what we're called to offer then, as we see here, is our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is meant, if you read your Old Testament, there's a lot of sacrificial talk. Some of you, like animal lover types, it horrifies you when you read some of the Old Testament. You're like, there's so much killing. There's so much bloodshed. What about the poor little lambs? And they on the altar, right? They like being chopped up and it's a pleasing aroma. But this is, sorry, PETA folks, right? But this is meant to contrast with that old sacrificial system. And rather than having to put animals continually, nonstop almost upon the altar, now our offering is what we give. And it's a living sacrifice. It's not these dead animals. It's, it's living you. 
And our sacrifice, it's in giving ourselves, not so that we can earn God's acceptance, but because we know we've already been accepted in Jesus. Now we can freely give ourselves. We're not just giving them a couple dead animals to be laid upon an altar with fire, but it's actually giving your life. It's giving your, giving your life. Because oh, I, I got to be real, for me at least, and maybe you wired differently than me, it's actually easier to kind of just do stuff sometimes. Like, um, it's honestly easier if God will say, you want to be a good person? Just follow this list and check off the box. That's actually easier. I, I think about like in marriage, um, maybe because we're doing foundations afterwards, it was fresh in my mind. Honestly, marriage would sometimes just be easier if there was just a list of stuff to do and you know you're in the clear. Like this week for me to be a good husband, here's the 10 things I need to do. I'm like, cool, I can, I can do that by Monday and I'm good. But that's not a relationship, right? It's, it's deeper than just here's the things you need to do because you're in this living, breathing, organic relationship. And that's what God invites us to with him, a relationship, because it goes deeper. Just what do we need to do to be acceptable? It's what does it mean to walk together in a relationship with this God? And that's why it's called our spiritual worship here. And we're intended to gain a deeper understanding of worship than maybe we normally think of. Uh, for me, when I think of worship, I, I often think of like, the worship service or the singing, like we even call it worship, right? Which I don't think is inappropriate. Um, but I think about worship and in my mind, I go to the really churchy looking stuff. I go to stuff that's in my mind, I'm like, okay, that's worship and that's God stuff. Um, but spiritual worship, a living sacrifice, it's much more holistic than say an hour of what we do on a Sunday. It's like all of us. It's our life. It's a life that breathes and moves in who we are. In other words, um, it's not just what we do. It's who we are. It's a relationship. And as we look at verse 2, we see the process of how this change comes about. That God's mercy, it transforms our minds to look at life differently. And guys, again, this is huge because what it's saying is the Christian life, ultimately, it's not just about behavior modification. It's not just about changing your external um, behavior, but there's actually a renewal in our thinking, our perspective, our outlook on life, like who we are internally changes. Um, and a big part of this, as we see here, it's we're commanded to not be conformed to this age. And some other translations, they'll say, don't be conformed to the world. And, and I, I just want to park here for one moment because I think there's a realistic tension that we see here that we need to use discernment. We need wisdom because we're called to be, and we have things in scripture to talk about. It's like we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. Like there's a sense um, we're to take part and engage in our larger culture around us. Like at the village, we'll talk very clearly. Um, spirituality is not hiding away in a, in a, like a monk. 
and that's like makes you more godlike, we actually think you're missing out on a whole part of what it means to be a Christian, that God has actually called us to be in our world, to be present, to be salt and light, to be able to help other people know who he is through your life. Like that's a good thing. That it's okay to go to the movies. It's okay to listen to me. It's okay to get takeout. I mean, whatever it might be that, that sometimes people look at, that's of the world. So I, I, we're not calling you to be a monk. We're not calling you to just hang out with village people and, and like don't talk to anyone else. We actually think we'd be disobedient to what God inviting us to do. Um, but I think the tension is, as much as we engage in our culture in healthy ways, which again, I'm a proponent of, it also means learning um, and asking, what is helpful in me becoming more Christ-like or not? Like there is discernment required to ask, are the things in the world, am I not just looking at or has it become an influence on me in a way that's pushing me away from becoming more like Jesus? And this is hard because it means just because something's out there, just because something's like quote unquote normal, just because it's put out there by like an Instagram influencer, doesn't always mean that it might be good for your Christ likeness. Doesn't always mean that it's good for your relationship with God. It doesn't mean it's right or good or beneficial. It might be, or it might be kind of neutral. Um, the point being is when you're in a relationship, you want to ask, is this helping my relationship? So a uh, recent controversy, which I just thought that this is funny. Like Christians sometimes have weird controversies compared to the rest of the world, right? But one recent controversy I heard about was with um, the Enneagram. And I don't know if any of you, I, I think a few of you in here are fans of the Enneagram, right? But like the Enneagram, I actually personally think is a really helpful uh, self-help awareness tool. Um, but there, there was some controversy because some very influential and I actually think really um, wise Christian leaders with a, a large platform were saying, hey, I used to like the Enneagram, but I started studying it. I think it's demonic, y'all. I think it's actually really bad for you. I think like you're opening the doorways to like spiritual forces you don't want to be messing with. Here, here's, here's the thing. I don't think I agree with that take because I, I like the Enneagram and I don't think I'm playing with demons, right? I think it's actually helpful for me to know God for me personally. But here's the thing. I'm not dunking on those people because what I actually appreciate is they're genuinely seeking the Lord. They're not just coming from, yeah, I don't like the little star figures that look kind of like demonic and stuff and that just give me the willies and I'm just feeling... What they're doing is saying, I've studied scripture. Like, I've like deeply prayed. I'm seeking God. I want to be wise. I don't want to engage in anything without thinking clearly. And here is where I come from having done that. And again, I might not agree with them fully. And this might be scary for some of you to say, you can both be Christians faithfully and have some differing views on stuff in the Bible. That's okay. That's, I, there's some stuff we got to talk a little bit more about there's a lot of secondary, tertiary issues. It's okay to have some differences. Um, 
But what I appreciated was the sense of, here is how I've studied the scripture and I've sought the Lord in discernment and this is what I believe. Because what I, th- I think that's actually what we're being called to here. Take anything in the world and bring it to the Lord and discern and be wise and don't automatically like say this is good or even this is bad just on what the world might be telling you, but say, what do I believe the scriptures are telling us? What, what is the Lord inviting us into in this? And that's just wise for anything that we engage in in our world. Because all to say a relational posture changes things. When we think about God, not just someone who we come in and we lay down our sacrifices, but rather he's a God who's invited us into his family. He invites us into walk with him. And when you have a relationship with someone, there's a part of you that starts to say, um, how can I build this relationship with this person who loves me? Um, I mean, again, for me, uh, I mean, I think about my marriage you know, to my wife where, um, I mean, like a lot of you, I'm real self-centered. And when I entered marriage, I mean, if you think I'm self-centered now, I was like totally self-centered then, right? Like everything revolved around the North Star of me, even in marriage. And it's taken some years, but I feel like I'm just starting to hit some of that sweet spot. I'm not there for fully perfect, but more and more, Whatever I do now, whatever I'm going to engage in, whatever choices I'm going to make, there's like uh, almost starting to become a little natural. How would this affect my relationship with my wife? Would this make her happy? Would this tick her off? And sometimes I'm sinful, right? I even know it's going to tick her off, but I'm still, ah, I want to do it. But it's just still the question, though, how will this affect relationship? And I guess what I would encourage all of you here to do if you have a relation with God, I think what we're seeing here, it invites you to seek discernment in all things. Um, practically, and, and this might be different for all of us here, it might mean you asking yourself, the things in my life, is it helping me to grow deeper in relation with God? And it might be a little scary, or is it actually kind of creating distance between me and God? Are the forms of art I engage in, media, the things I put into my body, the way I view my sexuality, whatever it might be. And again, I think it's different for all of us, but part of being in Christ is starting to ask, are the choices I'm making, does it help me to grow in relation with God or is it actually causing distance? And I think the freedom that we have in Jesus it means there's probably not one stock answer for everyone in most things. But this is you walking with God. And I would encourage you, ask for discernment. How do the things in my life help me to spiritually worship God? Because it's not just putting down my sacrifices. My life is the sacrifice now in this relationship. Because God's mercy for you, it invites you to be with the Lord. And we see that God's mercy doesn't just impact our relationship with God, but also with others. And that's our second point here. How does mercy affect our relationship with the church? Because we're, what, we're get, what we're shown throughout the scripture is that God has given us life. God has saved us 
and this is really mind-bending for some of us, but God has saved you not just for you or not just so you can have a ticket, a stamped passport spiritually to heaven, and, and that might be all cool, but he's also given you life. He's also given you redemption. He's transformed you, not just for you, but also to put you in relationship with others, to put you in a church. And it's really hard in the West because we're really an individualistic culture, right? In the West. But part of what God has done is invited you to say, your life is more than just your own. And that's actually a better way to live with God, but also with one another. And we see that in some of the verses. I'm not going to reread it, but in verses 3 through 8, as it talks about the different um, gifts we've been given. And Marley uh, explained it really well earlier, talking about even within the church. I don't think it has to be just in the church, though. But just we're so uniquely wired here. Uh, and, you know, I love our church because we're growing even in, in diversity ethnically. That's probably the easiest thing to see with your eyes. But what I love is like even diversity and just how we're wired, how we're gifted, how you're skilled, what you're passionate about. And there's beauty in that. There's like real beauty in that. Um, as I'm getting older, I'm just having to be more conscious about my physical health along with other aspects of health. So I've been really trying to go to the, uh, be more intentional about going to the gym. And it's been fun because I'm doing stuff I haven't done since I was a kid because I'm trying to like kickstart it. So I've been doing more strength training. And recently, what I'm really enjoying are exercises like, and if you don't like any of it, just tune out for like 30 seconds, it's okay. Like things like deadlifts or squats, and here's the reason I really enjoy them aside from the pain. And that's probably like a mental issue for me, but I like kind of enjoy the pain of it. But it's those kind of exercises. It's meant to engage many different body parts together. Like your, your, um, your thighs and your back, your shoulders, your core. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this in church. Your butt, you know, like all the glutes. I'm sorry, glutes. Like it engages all those things together. And for you to do those exercises correctly, all the muscles got to be working together. And that's why it's a much better workout. Um, as I was thinking about that, not just the glutes part, but thinking about that, like through the mercy of God, in some way, there's a reason why that, that body imagery is given throughout the scriptures to describe the people of God, the church. Because each, each of us have been given gifts like described here. And there's a spiritual strengthening when we bring each of who we are together into this one body. And we're not going to ask who the glutes here, right? But when we each bring who we are and we bring it together and we're working together, we become stronger than we would be just on that one part alone. Like there is something spiritually significant about bringing together all of who we are and working with one another and strengthening one another because our gifts, they should help us to do relationship better as a body. Our gifts are not just for each of us individually or personally. Your talents, your skills, your personality, it's good for you, but it's not just for you. It's to help one another to be together. And some of the following verses here then, it shows us what some, some of that looks like. And a few examples here, uh, verse 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. And I, and I appreciate some other translations that say, let love be genuine. It's saying that as we bring ourselves together in love, our love has to be real, guys. It, it can't be like, 
And I actually, I like Instagram because it makes me look a lot better than I normally would be. Because they got like 30 different filters. They got cropping, which is great because there's some parts you just want to remove. You take your picture and before you put it out there, you like playing with it and designing it. You can even add music to it. Music makes everything better, right? And then you finally post, right? And you put out a story or a reel or, or and you get to put out there and everyone's, wow, I did not know he was that magnificent. He is amazing. Have you ever met people or you've seen them on the Instagram or whatever, the TikToks or whatnot, and then you meet them in person, you're like, oh, you, you're a lot more attractive on Instagram than you in real life. It's because it's the whole effect of we get to kind of design who we want us to be out there, right? We get to portray ourselves in different ways. We get to create, like meticulously craft how we present ourselves to others. Even if it might not be fully accurate, this is who we want people to see. And as I was thinking about that, uh, I think some people have another word for that. It's called church. <laughs> um, what I mean by that is for some of, maybe even some of us here, for a lot of folk I talk to, church is often like the least authentic place in a person's week. Like, the church is actually the place where we are the least honest with who we are, at least with what we want people to see. But village, we, we can't afford to do that. We can't afford to do that. If we understand the mercies of God in our life, it has to bring us to a place where our love has to be genuine. It can't be with hypocrisy. Because here's the natural repercussion of living in kind of an Instagram filtered way it's going to be impossible to receive real genuine love if we're pretending to be something that we're not. If we're portraying ourselves to be something that's not fully accurate. Because if people are loving or if they're embracing um, maybe a not fully formed expression of you, they're not going to be loving and accepting the real you. So for us as a church, if we want to be a place where we continue to, in the mercy of God, grow in greater maturity and depth, our love has to be real. The village needs to be a place, and we've said this many times, it has to be a place where it's okay to not be okay. It has to be a place where we can come together and we can say, hey, I know we come in and we do all the Jesus songs and no one waves flags here, but if you wave flags and we look in all holy, but man, I have had like the worst week. I've sinned like the devil, maybe not externally, but in my mind, in my heart, I, I don't love, I've been stingy. I think we have to have a place where we can come and talk about our failures, our struggles, that we can bring our greatest faults and failures and point one another to the God who knows all of that and yet continues to invite us to more mercy, continues to invite us, you're part of this family. And we demonstrate that to one another by genuinely loving one another even as we see those things. The community is really important. Because we see what comes next in verse 9, detest evil, Cling to what is good. We've got to be able to love one another in the most honest ways possible because there's God, as much as we're able to, we've got to remove as much doubt as we can 
that we would care for one another. There's got to be a sense from one another. Yeah, you know what? The people here, they've seen like the worst of me and they still with me. They still riding with me. We've got to do that because we need to also be able to have a love that, that's real enough that when we see someone walking in ways that are contrary to a relationship with God, that are harming them, that are destructive. And maybe sometimes we're not aware of that ourselves. Sometimes we're always fully aware. We just don't give a rip anymore. Whatever it might be, we need some people who know you so well, who care for you so much that they're going to say, hey, you are going on a really bad path right now and I love you too much to not say anything. I'm not God, so I can't change you. I can't tell you to stop. But what I can offer you is to say, I see what's happening here. This could be really bad. Because a healthy, mature community requires, we all need someone looking into our lives and speaking loving and gracious truth. Um, one thing I learned in seminary, I know I've shared this, is uh, get some people in your life who are not, that, who are not so easily impressed by you. Get some people in this church, they might think you're the cutest thing in the world, but I'll also be able to honestly, humbly share with you ways that maybe you're hurting others, hurting yourself, and not maybe not even being aware of it. Because sometimes we're not even aware, are we? Sometimes it's our pain, our hurt, past trauma, things. Sometimes it's formed us in ways but we need, and that's one of the values of the church, we need to have relationships and a community where we share God's mercy to one another, say, be who you are, but also see what you're meant to be. As it goes on in verse 10 to say, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Again, I've shared this. Christians, we often like the to-do verses. I like them because it's just much clearer. Do these things and be right. Um, but we can do those without meaning it, right? But we're often commanded like here to feel for one another because that's something you can't manufacture or manipulate. That's what it means by brotherly and sisterly affection. Something that goes deeper than just what you do, but it's what you feel. There's almost a, a, a supernatural affection because if we see who we respect deeply, it's also, as we honor another, people who have been open and transparent. There, there's a, a symbiotic relationship here. But the thing is, we can't get to that point until we quit pretending. So we can say, yes, we are broken, but praise Christ, we're broken together. Let's continue to seek him. And there's that part about exhortation there. If I could encourage you, be generous in honoring one another. Um, be generous in telling one another how they encourage you. Be generous in celebrating one another. But sometimes we might not say it because we're like, they know it. Man, they... Uh, sometimes we just need to hear from one another. You know, when you do this, you really build up the body of Christ. Or man, I love the way you express yourself in that way. Or I love to see how God's working Exhort one another, celebrate one another, be generous in honoring. And it goes on, we're not going to go through every one of these, but it talks about different ways that we grow in community. We encourage one another when it's really hard. We pray together, even when things are not what they should be. We rejoice in hope. 
We share in each other's needs. That we're a community that when we know someone is lacking something or someone has lost, someone is going through grief, that we would be the first ones to get to them and say, hey, I heard about this. I am so sorry. This is terrible. How can I support you? Or maybe even better yet, don't ask them how you can support them, but offer, offer your support, offer your walking together and encourage. And we see even um, hospitality. One of the most powerful ways we can encourage one another to receive mercy And I think I've shared this story before. When I first started coming back to church, I was so far away from God. But a long time ago, I started coming to church. And when I started going there, I felt like this is a whole bunch of holy moly hypocrites here. This is not this church, right? But another church where I was not the pastor, just coming back to God. I was like, this is a bunch of phony people. They all just hypocrites, whatnot. And and I remember when it changed, someone invited me to come to their home for dinner. And it took this whole Jesus thing outside of just this religious meeting into a table where I felt like they just wanted me to be a part of their life. And something changed. Something changed. The power of hospitality. One of the most spiritual impacting things you can do is have someone in your home. And then the following verses, they go on to describe this deep emotional sharing with one another. So this is a prescriptive description of how relationships at church should be. It's some exhortations. Here's some of what it should look like. And it's all good, but how in the world do we, with all of our demanding schedules, um, maybe with a lot of people you don't know here, how how will we do this? Um, Here's one way we won't do it. It won't happen if we kind of accept this cropped, Instagrammy view of who we are with one another. It's kind of very filtered, meticulously manufactured view. It, it won't happen if our notion of quote-unquote church, it just means coming with a few other people to this larger gathering on Sundays. And this is great. I, I love it. Um, but here's the, I guess we can say warning. If we're not careful, if we're not intentional, this can easily just become a glorified, bigger Bible study. And that's not bad. That's not bad. But guys, that's not the biblical description of what it means to be the church. And again, what we do here on Sundays is very good. It's what's needed. But the things that are described in this passage, being real, speaking and receiving truth, showing honor, uh, praying together, sharing needs, sharing emotions, they require pressing into others in ways that will just not be fully possible in a Sunday gathering. For us to receive mercy and share mercy, we need to know people on, on a different kind of level. And the expectation, it can't be that we will fully receive those things by coming here together on a Sunday as good as it might be. And that's why we have things like community groups. Um, It's not just to do Bible study, but to be in a space where you get to know a few more people than you would normally beyond just here. That's why we do great things with our men's ministry, our women's ministry, to create space for you to be in a place to get to know others and for others to get to know you a little bit more if that's where you are. Because guys, God uses our relationships to invite us to continual mercy. In a moment, we're going to come to the table. And and here's the idea. Mercy is what leads us to a relation with God 
and to a relationship with others. Mercy is what allows us to be in relationship. But here's the beautiful thing. Mercy builds upon itself. Mercy leads to more mercy. Because as you're in relationship with other people, it will invite you to a place that will continually remind you, this is why you still need the mercy of God. Some of us would love the Christian life to just be a Bible study and learn as much as we can. And I hope you do that. But you know how you really learn about God? By being with people who bring you into a place where you're suffering, who make you have to, why are there exhortations to be humble? Because sometimes when you're with other people, you don't want to be humble. Why are there all these different commands about walking through suffering? Sometimes when you walk with people, life can get very difficult. Again, I'll use the marriage illustration. If I ever start to think that I've made it in this world, you know what's really good and humbling for me? Just be married. Because it reveals to me areas in my life that I still have pride, that I'm arrogant, that I'm self-centered, I'm selfish. And rather than going down the rabbit hole of, man, I just stink, it's right, praise God that there's one who gives me mercy in that place. And his name is Jesus. Mercy builds upon mercy. And I want to invite you today, wherever you are at in, in relation with God and with this church, take one step. Take one step to say, I want the mercy of God. If I understand the mercy of God, it leads me naturally in relationship with others and mercy builds upon mercy. So let me ask you to stand with me as our worship team comes up to lead us in musical worship. I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, to come. And the reason we do communion is to remember Jesus because that's mercy embodied. We continue to remember Jesus, the one who gave his life for us, giving us what we might not deserve and sharing with us so much more than we've asked for, his very own life. And now as we receive that, we give our own lives and sacrifice to God, but also to one another. So I would invite you, if you're you're a Christian, let the communion be your invitation to remember the mercies of God in your life. But don't just stop there, guys. Ask, how is this leading me into different steps? Really, maybe for some of you, it's saying, I'm going to explore what it means to be a partner at the village. I've been kind of just coming and just kind of observing for a while, receiving. But maybe God's saying, it's time for you to be part of the family. Maybe for others of you, the step is to say, I want to be part of God's family. And Jesus, he's given his life so that I could be into this family, not by my merit or what I've earned, but by mercy alone. So whatever it might be for you, come receive the elements. Bring it back after the first song. We'll take it all together, so hold on to it. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, your mercies are great. And God, I pray for some of us, you would free us from a religious and not the good kind of religion, the kind of religious, Lord, we feel we have to keep proving ourselves. But Lord, we would know that we've been brought in by Jesus and we celebrate him. But Lord, I pray for some of us as well. Perhaps you're inviting us, Lord, to take that steps into relationship with one another, that mercy wouldn't just stop at what we've received from you, but it's what we get to also share with one another. 
So Lord, pour out upon our church so we could pour out here but beyond these walls. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done that we get to share with one another and that mercy would build upon mercy. Mercy would lead to more mercy, God. So I invite you to sing, pray, come down to aisles, grab one of these, bring it back to your seats, and we'll continue to worship the Lord.